0: Acts 28, verse 11. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods, Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and stayed there three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at Rydgium. The next day, the south wind came up and on the following day, we reached Puteoli, There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming and they travelled as far as the Forum of Appius and the Three Taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected. So I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God, and from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, But never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and I would heal them. Therefore I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance.
1: Hi, everyone. Good morning to you all. Um, I want to put up a photo on the screen, see if you recognize this man. Anybody recognize this man? He's a missionary, yeah, he he was a missionary, John Allen Chow. Two weeks ago, on the 15th of November, he hired a fishing boat uh, to access a very remote island, North Sentinel Island, in the Bay of Bengal, near India. Uh, From the fishing boat, he then paddled his own kayak ashore. Uh, His mission was to bring the good news of Jesus to the most remote uh, people remote and unreached people on the planet. Now, unable to speak their language, he yelled out, my name is John, I love you, and Jesus loves you. The Sentinelese shot arrows at him. Uh, One of the arrows hit his Bible and he made a hasty retreat. He swam back to the fishing boat. That night, he had to weigh up whether to return to the island to To risk his life, he knew that it was a a life-endangering mission or whether to abandon his mission. The next day, he went ashore again. This time, the arrows pierced his body. Uh, He was killed by the Sentinelese, and they dragged his uh, body, and it's thought that they buried his body in the sand on the beach. Now, what do you make of John Allen Chow? There's a lot of talk about him on the Internet at the moment. Uh, some people are saying he's a hero, very few. Some people are saying he's a villain, you know, white, imperialist, colonial type of thinking. Some people just think he's plain stupid, you know, what, what did he think was going to happen? So those are the opinions that are circulating out there. Did he get what he deserved? Should the Sentinelese people just be left alone to their, you know, their, their, their way of life? Should they just be left like they want to be? What do you think and why? I want you to talk to the person next to you. I'm not going to solve all the problems for you. You've got to agonize over these things yourselves. What do you think? Should the Sentinelese be left alone? What do you think and why? Okay. All right, I'm going to leave you just to sit with that. I'll come back to that at towards the end um and uh help us to think about that. But um I want to th- come closer to home and think about our story, right? Because we're not, you know, on North Sentinel Island. Uh we're here we're we're here on the central coast, just to remind you there's the entrance, you know, the feeding of the pelicans and so on. Um thankfully, so many people in our region don't want to hear about Jesus, yeah? They just want to be left alone. Now, thankfully, when we knock on people's doors, uh, we're not, we don't have arrows shot at us. Um, or as we invite them to church, uh, you know, there's not that same sort of a- aggressive physical hostility. Um, but there is sometimes hostility, isn't there? Uh, should the Coasties be left alone? Right now, you need to talk to the person next to you. What do you think and why? Uh, uh, Many Coasties just want to be left alone, just left to themselves, their primitive way of life and so on. Uh, Should the Coasties be left alone? Why or why not? Okay, all right, you've had some time. So, intriguing questions, isn't it? And I think a lot is revealed in how we answer those questions and the difference uh, that we might place on those things. But this morning, our focus is the, the book of Acts. We come to the final chapter, and it's been a long journey. Uh, it's a, it was a long journey for Paul, but it's been a, a journey for us as well. Uh, it's been a terrific book to be studying. And as we come to the end, I want to look at the last chapter, but in light of the whole of Luke's writing. Uh, And uh, what has God been teaching us through Luke? And firstly, I want to think about the purpose of Luke's writing. So what was his purpose in writing to us? Now, Luke is the author of Acts, but he's also the author of another book, isn't he? Which is not hard to tell what it is. It's It's the Gospel of Luke. Uh, So Acts is volume two of Luke's story and it begins with the birth of John the Baptist and then the birth of Jesus. And we're looking at that next week. So you've got to come back next week and we can start the story all over again, right? So John the Baptist and and Jesus' birth in the next couple of weeks. But even before the birth of Jesus or John the Baptist, uh, Luke says this. So flick back in your Bible to Luke chapter one. Listen to Luke's purpose. So I really want you to be flicking around your Bible today. No laziness amongst us. Um, He says, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the Lord. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything for the beginning... I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that, here's the purpose statement, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. All right, Luke's purpose, right from the outset of the start of Luke's Gospel all the way through to the end of Acts, his purpose is to foster certainty in the story of Jesus. So Luke not only recounts the story of Jesus, But he makes sure that we know this story is grounded in history. He'll tell us about Pontius Pilate and King Herod and and Caesar's decree. and uh, He's very concrete in places and names. This is not your mythical once upon a time story, is it, Luke's Gospel? It doesn't read like that in the slightest. It's real people, real engagements in real places that we can correspond with our real knowledge of history. Luke gives a lot of uh, historical detail gained from eyewitness interviews that he carefully conducted and then ordered. Now Luke as he writes is well aware that there are p- there are opposing views about Jesus. So he knows that many Jews regarded Jesus as a dangerous liar, a blasphemer, a troublemaker, a con man, uh, one who stirs up riots and so on. And yet Luke and many others have a completely opposite view. He is convinced, as many of us are, that Jesus is God's king, God's long-awaited Messiah, the one foretold hundreds of years earlier by the prophets. And again and again, throughout Luke and Acts, what is it that Luke will point to as the key bit of evidence? That Jesus is God's Messiah. What's the key bit of evidence? Raised from the dead. Resurrection. See the Jews cast their verdict at the trial. It was a mob rule wasn't it? It wasn't a fair trial. But they cast their verdict. He's a blasphemer. They killed him. But the apostles keep saying no. But God had a different verdict. God raised him up again from the grave to demonstrate to the world this is God's king. The kingdom of God has finally come amongst us. And so in the final verses of um, Acts, chapter 28, verse 23, um, Paul is in Rome addressing his fellow Jews, seeking to persuade them about Jesus. So Paul witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and the prophets, He tried to persuade them about Jesus. So it's not just storytelling for the sake of interesting facts. It's storytelling to persuade that Jesus is the king. That your life needs to change because of these facts about Jesus. And what was their response? Some were convinced by what Paul said, but others would not believe. Now I've got those words, would not, highlighted because... I think they're very deliberate words from Luke. It's not that they could not believe. It's not that they didn't have enough evidence to believe. Now Luke wants to point out that there's a prejudice that's going on, that there's an irrationality to unbelief, and we've seen it again and again, haven't we? Uh, the trials of Luke, uh, sorry, the trials of Paul, as with the trials of Jesus, turned out to be a complete farce. You know, there was just mob rule, crucify him, crucify him. Most of the people in the crowd didn't even know what charges they had Jesus up for. Why would you crucify him? But they just got caught up in the whole hype, the irrationality of the moment. The trial of Jesus, as with the trials of Paul throughout the second half of Acts, were not rational, thoughtful, clearly wrestled through debates. No, there was mob rule at its worst. It was prejudicial. And so um, Paul sums it up as he talks to his fellow Jews, which I don't recommend you pulling this verse out when you're talking to uh, Coasties, but their hearts are hard. they have blocked their ears. This is verse 27. He's quoting Isaiah the prophet. You've blocked your ears. You've hardened your hearts to God. You've closed your eyes. That's why you can't see and hear. It's, it's not because of lack of evidence, but it's because you are prejudiced against God's King, Jesus. Now, tragically, my experience is the same today. Uh, many people, many, many people reject Christianity, and it feels like an increasing number of people rejecting Christianity. But it, I want to argue... It's not for lack of evidence. Um, It's not because of reasoned considering of the the evidence. It's not because people have actually sat down and worked it through and pondered these things. No, it's it's, it's kind of a mob rule. It's kind of a, this is the mood of our society and I'm just gonna fit in with the mood of our society. And the mood of our society is sidelining Christianity, making a mockery of Christianity. Who does God think he is to call me? are to obey him uh, to to call me to account Uh, and so my experience is that yes many people reject christianity but just as with the jewish people of paul's day so with the people of our day it's not out of good wrestling with the evidence but more out of prejudice now we run the simpler christianity course and we don't do it to trick anyone do we michael right it's not no trickery right because we know You can't trick someone into believing in Jesus. That won't sustain you in any way as a Christian. Being conned into believing will not help you through the difficult times that will come your way as a Christian. Uh, You need to be convinced of the truths. And so what we do is just lay out the evidence for Jesus because we feel the evidence is compelling. It's compelled us. And what do we do when we do it? We just get Luke's biography of Jesus. And we say, here it is. Let's work through this over the next five weeks um, because like Luke, we are convinced that the story of Jesus is empowered by God and it is persuasive and and, um, compelling. So this is why over December we're retelling the Christmas story, right? And we're doing it partly because our society has lost touch with even the basics of Christianity. And so we want to retell the story of Jesus and his birth and why he came into our world um, and invite people along because it is a compelling story. Uh, This is why we run Good News Week because we want to retell the story of Jesus, the compelling, persuasive gospel of Jesus. And coming on to the second point, we understand Jesus' program. The good news must be preached to all nations. There's a a compelling nature to Jesus' program. So come come to the end of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 24, where Jesus sort of kicks off the global mission. Luke chapter 24, verse 44, just before Luke ends. Luke chapter 24, verse 44, Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled. All right, there's, a, there's a divine necessity. This must happen. And it's been fulfilled That is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer, rise from the dead on the third day and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem you are witnesses of these things I'm going to send you what my father has promised but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high and so the book of Acts has been all about the good news of Jesus this message of forgiveness imagine like the idea of standing before God to give an account is terrifying you know it's no wonder that People arc up against that sort of idea. But the idea that you can stand before God to give an account, but know that you have been washed clean and forgiven. This is why we call it good news. Right? Because you've got to face up to the reality. We, all, we will all stand before God on that last day. But here is a chance to stand before him cleansed and forgiven loved by him welcomed into his kingdom and and to live now confident of those things we are confident our sister pat is now with the lord jesus because she was she had embraced this message of forgiveness so acts is all about this good news spreading from jerusalem to the ends of the earth And so by the end of the book of Acts, Paul is openly proclaiming this good news in Rome. It's moved from the backwater of Galilee to the city of Jerusalem. But even that, it was a backwater capital. But now we're in the epicenter of the Roman Empire. Rome itself, uh, the epicenter of the ancient world. Now I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 29. Acts 29, come over there. And what do you notice in Acts 29? That's good, good on you. You're actually looking at your Bible. There is no Acts 29. I tricked you all. Um, So although there is a church planting movement called Acts 29, has anyone heard of this? Uh, It's very similar to um, the Fellowship of Independent Evangelical Churches, which we're a part of here in Australia. Or the Geneva network of church planting why do you think it's called Acts 29 just put up have we got Acts 29 logo there I don't know if we here yeah, it is why do you think it's called Acts 29 it's the continuing story yeah it's a good it's a great little idea isn't it because the story of Jesus gospel being preached to all nations it, it's continuing today. It's an unfinished story, and we are called to be part of it. In, in fact, you, you get to the end of Acts 28, and you're sort of left with a feeling of, oh, it feels like a little bit of an anticlimax. You sort of want to know, what, how does the story end? But that's the whole point. Uh, the story ends when Jesus comes again, but first, the gospel must be preached to every nation. Um, And so Acts doesn't tell the story of how the Roman Empire became Christian by 300 AD, an extraordinary story, uh, and how, in spite of terrible persecution of Christians, somehow Christianity rose to become the official religion of the empire. Uh, Acts doesn't tell the story of how Christianity flourished in China under atheistic communist communist regime and somehow this little underground movement just fanned into flame um, it doesn't tell the story of one of the most important stories of the lakes evangelical church on the central coast of australia and it seems to me yeah acts is an unfinished story because jesus program continues to be in operation today yes right to the end of the earth uh, and jesus wants us to be part of that story to take this good news to the Central Coast, to a people who desperately need forgiveness. Right? Just as all of us, all of us have only one hope, to stand before that la- God on the last day and to be forgiven. Because, man, if we were to stand before God on our own merits, we would have utterly no hope. Right? And so we need this good news of forgiveness. And Jesus wants us to be part of taking it. To our world. And we do it. Final point. We do it with God's power. The spirit-empowered word cannot be stopped. So Acts chapter 1, right? So we notice what we're doing. We're going to the beginning of Luke, the end of Luke, the start of Acts, uh, all the bookend parts. right. so Acts chapter 1. Just to remind you, it takes a little while to find Acts chapter 1. Um Verse 8, but you will receive power, he's talking to his apostles, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Right, there's the program laid out again, but Jesus reminds us that there will be a power engaged in this mission. God empowers Christians to preach the message of Jesus. Jesus. And he does so today as well. So Acts chapter 4 verse 31, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. These are in your outlines, these ones. Uh, Filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Acts 4.33, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and so on. Now, I just want to say we mustn't drive a wedge between the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God I hear some people do it right even some of us I've got to uh, confess uh, can do this so you know you say well you know the lakes is a word focused church but other churches are more holy spirit more spirit sort of churches now what I don't know what you think about that I am deeply disturbed about that uh because I ch- to, to say that we're not a spirit church but we're a word church a church that's not a spirit church is not a genuine Christian church. Right? Any Christian church is that which has been gathered by the Holy Spirit. He is amongst us. So to say, oh, we're not a spirit church is, is more than an insult. It's actually to say we're, not, we're less than Christian. But the same to say you're not a word church, to say, oh, that church is not really a word church. They're more of a spirit church. Right? Well, that's to say they're not a genuine church christian church because genuine christianity will always have at the heart the word of god empowered by the spirit of god working hand in hand not in isolation from one another but it's the spirit empowered word of god that is living and active and doing it's how jesus completes his mission here amongst us today so, we want to have both. So now I just want to point out in the Hebrew, in the languages of the, old, of the Bible, right? So, ancient Greek and ancient Hebrew, the word spirit uh, actually means wind or breath. Right? And so, I want you to think about when I'm speaking to you, as I speak, uh, my breath carries my words. And I'm sorry if I haven't brushed my teeth this morning for the people in the front, but now my breath carries my words. Uh, And they have their impact, you know, and some of you listen and some of you don't. Uh, (laughs) Well, some fall asleep, I've noticed, you know. So, (laughs) No, um, all right. So now when God speaks, when God speaks, his word is carried by his breath, his Holy Spirit, and it does his mighty work. Right from the beginning, this is how God has done things. So when God created the world, he didn't, he didn't, f- he spoke. He spoke, and his spirit empowered word was the creative agent which formed the world. Uh, and God continues to act powerfully in our world today, in his word, and in particular in the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus. Um, at one level, it's such an ordinary thing, speaking the message of Jesus. Uh, It's an ordinary message at one level and yet it is empowered by the creator of our world and it does his powerful good work of saving people, of bringing forgiveness of sins, of turning people back to him. So it's not word or spirit, but spirit-empowered word of God. Uh, And have a look at the the other verses there. Acts chapter 6, verse 7, the word of God spread. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. The word of God continued to spread and to flourish. The word of of the Lord spread through the whole region. And Acts chapter 9 and verse 20. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. And then come to the final verse of the book of Acts. So the very last verse. For two whole years, Paul's there. Verse 31. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance now i want to ask you uh, what sort of genre would you describe the book of acts right yeah a genre is like a type of literature uh, what type of literature are we dealing with here have a crack what does it f- feel like it's spiritual yeah but what History, so it's definitely history, isn't it? And so Luke makes very clear that he's he's interviewed eyewitnesses to draw together an account. Uh, and there's lots that is historically verifiable. So it's history, yes. Um, the book of Acts, I want to argue, is biography. Did he say? Did he say biography? Oh, well done, Dennis. Um, so biography. Now, whose biography is it though? Um... It's a funny thing, isn't it? Who's biography? Because you look at Peter, and Peter seems to be the focus, and then he disappears. I can't remember where he disappears, because he sort of just drops off the story. Do you, do you remember, Darren? He's there in chapter 10 and 11. Maybe he, he makes an appearance in chapter 15, and then I think he's gone. And you go, well, that would be an unsatisfying biography of Peter, wouldn't it? If you sort of, we don't even know what happened to him from there. And it picks up on Paul from chapter 9. But look, I want to know a whole lot of other things about Paul. What did he do next? Um, Did he ever get released? Did he get killed in Rome? Did he ever make it to Spain because he wanted to get to? So there's a whole lot of incomplete things about Paul. And that's because Acts is not a biography of Peter or Paul. Who is it a biography of? Jesus, Jesus. Now, have a look at Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Right, it's Jesus and what he does through his spirit-empowered word in our world today. So, Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus... Be- okay, we, I've offended Bob and Jeanette. No, no, they told me earlier that they had to leave, right? So, it's all right. Whew. Um, see you later. Um, In my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. I think I've got this on the screen even. I don't know if I do, Caroline. What's the next one? No, okay, it's not that one. Go go back one. Um, In my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Now, what's the implication? The implication is the book of Acts is all about what Jesus continued to do now that he was the risen Lord sitting at the right hand of God ruling our world he can see the story is not over because Jesus is not dead and he will continue to do his work through the book of Acts as he pours out God's Holy Spirit uh, as his word is spoken by his apostles the one he has appointed uh, it is the work of Jesus in our world today um, now, Paul probably wrote 2 Timothy while he was in Rome. I want you to have a... Uh, just listen, listen. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. He says, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. This is when Caroline comes in. But God's word is not chained. Now, I love that phrase. All right, God's word is not chained because... Jesus is the risen king. He rules even now. You know, people may mock, laugh, ridicule, but he is the risen king and he will, he will win. When he comes again, every knee will bow. And even now, his kingdom is growing in our world. In spite of all kinds of opposition, his kingdom continues to spread. And he empowers his servants, you and me, to continue to boldly spread this good news. So I want to show you another uh, thing that Paul wrote while he was in um, Rome. It's Philippians, Philippians chapter 1. I'm pretty sure he wrote that while he was in Rome as well. You can flick over there if you want to. Um, I'll read it out even if you don't flick there. Philippians 1 verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel, right? He's been in chains, imprisoned, but he says, it served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. All right, God's Holy Spirit continues to empower his people. And the way he does it, he gives us clarity. He gives us clarity about the message itself. Clarity about eternal realities of heaven and hell. So there's clarity and courage. Clarity and courage going together is a powerful mix. You know, we want to be clear on the gospel, clear on eternal realities, clear on the need of our world to know about Jesus. And then God will equip us with the courage to take that message and to speak uh, in spite of our fears. So come back to where we started. John Allen Chow... Killed by the remote tribal people, the Sentinelese. Should the Sentinelese be left alone? Now I want you to to listen to what he wrote the night before he died. Um, So I've got his letter on the screen. It's a bit hard for you to read. But he says to his mum and dad and uh, friends, You guys might think I'm crazy and all this, but I think it's worth it to declare Jesus to these people. Please don't get angry at them or at God if I get killed. Rather, please live your lives in obedience to whatever he has called you to. And I'll see you again when you pass through the veil. This is not a pointless thing. The eternal lives of this tribe is at hand. And I can't wait to see them around the throne of God, worshipping in their own language, as Revelation states. I love you all and I pray none of you will love anything in this world more than Jesus Christ. He signs it off to the glory of God alone. Now, whatever you think of the wisdom of John Chow, his motivation is clear, isn't it? Uh, He wanted to be part of Jesus' mission. He'd spent years preparing for this mission. He'd done cross-cultural studies. Uh, He'd trained in medical work so that he could bring some medical help to the Sentinelese as part of uh, forging a connection to them. Um, And his mission was, I want to be part of Jesus' mission, bringing the good news of people, sorry, bringing the good news of Jesus to people who need to know about God and forgiveness and eternal life. And he says, you know, don't think this is a pointless thing. The eternal lives of this tribe is at hand. So you may disagree with his, the wisdom of how he went about it, but the motivation, I hope, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're, you're gripped with something of the same spirit of the need for people to hear about Jesus. It reminds me of the story of Australian missionary Stan Dale um, and the Yali tribe in Papua, Indonesia. So, Stan Dale, his daughter, uh, Joy Crawford, is part of our church at the Lakes. 50 years ago, he too went to one of the most remote parts of the planet, the Yali tribe in the highlands of Papua, Indonesia. He too was killed. He too went in with, with basically no knowledge of the local language, you know, because it was such a, a, a remote tribe. He too went in having to learn, at, you know, once he hit the ground. And yet the good news of Jesus has transformed that remote community beyond his death at the hands of this tribe. So um, I, want you to, I want to just show you a brief video. I th- hopefully it works. Let's see how we go today.
2: In the eastern highlands of the Jayoijaya Mountains, 60 or so scattered villages are home to a small tribe of 15,000, the Yali. Locked in time by the rugged terrain, these Stone Age people lived with no idea of a world beyond. They were cannibals, eating human flesh was the ultimate triumph over the enemy. They were warriors who killed two missionaries in 1968. From the outside, life has changed very little, but their world has been transformed from within. This is their story. A story of faithful people entrusted with God's message. The story of how God entered their world and spoke his word.
0: The outside world came to the Yalis force in 1961, when missionaries Tendale and Bruno DeLeo trekked into this area. The missionaries came with a new message about a life of freedom in Christ.
2: Many Yalis believe because they heard the message, but when they are able to read the Word of God for themselves, it's like they hear God speaking straight to them from the Yali scriptures.
0: Some might think of us as primitive, but there is an intelligence, a kindness, a simplicity to our lives. We have always lived in community, but now our community is enriched by the presence of Christ. We are humbled that God chose to entrust us with his word. we used to be ignorant we didn't know you we were under satan's power and our hands and our feet were bound our eyes were closed our hearts were held captive but Jesus you your word your missionaries came from far away and through the words they have taught us we have become your children and now we are walking in the light
1: Okay, so it's a lovely, lovely story. And so and just the celebrations of the whole community. See, the Yalis didn't invite missionaries to come and share the good news. In fact they killed the first two missionaries that came. Uh, and yet now, looking back, they are glad. They are glad people took the risk uh, and even gave up their lives to bring the message of Jesus to their community. And they're saying, look, it hasn't changed our way of life visibly. You know, we still do the same things we used to do, except it's taken away the fear. It's brought us a relationship with God, our Creator. Uh, It's brought us forgiveness and hope. And so they are so glad that they know Jesus. They're glad that people made the effort in spite of the resistance that they received so come back to us right because because at, at one level we've got to go well we're not heading to north Sentinel island we're not heading to remote Papua, indonesia here we are on the coast and we're called on to play our part in the unfolding program of jesus the unfolding story of the book of acts should the coasties be left alone he's <laughs> one of the harassers of the coasties right um, now the answer is no because our our region needs Jesus just as much as the north Sentinelese, you know in their remoteness in the Bay of Bengal our region needs Jesus more than anything else and they just don't know it uh, and it's and it creates this complex thing doesn't it because it looks like we're proud and arrogant and enforcing our way of life, but we've come to know the risen King Jesus. And we know that there will come a day of account when everyone will stand before God. And we know that there is a way that we can stand confident, uh, forgiven, washed clean. Uh, and so we, we just want this good news to be shared with those around about us. Uh, and so, yes, we need to be wise we don't want to stir up unnecessary hostility or antagonism. We need to help each other be wise in the way we do that. But I've got to say, I think we are wise. And that is, you look at Good News Week. You know, you look at these bunch of young, enthusiastic people that we've got here this morning. You know, the, the adults team and they're just there's 40 or so beavers. You know, bea- sorry, not beavers. Faithful servants beavering around the place. Serving, uh, and what they're doing is to try to wisely, uh, culturally, appropriately share the good news of Jesus. And what we need to do is go, oh, I don't know about the wisdom of the North Sentinelese mission, but I do know there's wisdom in the way we're going about sharing the gospel here. And what's stopping me? Are my fears going to get in the way of me actually getting on board with this? Uh, of actually inviting my friends and neighbours and the kids down the street to come along and to hear this good news of Jesus. right During December, any time, Christmas services, carols, Good News Week, it's an opportunity to, to take our part. We're called to be bold. We have good reason to be bold, don't we? Jesus is the risen king. His kingdom just continues to march on in spite of opposition. It has done... For 2,000 years, it will continue. It's powerful. It comes with the power of God's Holy Spirit. So let me call you to action, brothers and sisters, and take part. Let me pray. God, our Father, we want to thank you for this good news. This good news of your King, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus. Father, uh The thought of standing before you is terrifying and yet Jesus washes us clean and we thank you for the forgiveness we find in him. We thank you that you have turned our hearts back to you away from the idolatry of our world, away from the false values of our world. And Father, we pray that you'll continue to stir in our hearts a confidence. We pray that our community, that we will encourage one another, that we'll give courage to one another to play our part in this great program of Jesus, of taking the good news of forgiveness and repentance to this region that you've placed us in. We pray that we will do it intentionally, wisely, lovingly, and we pray that you will do your great work in us, that we might be part of that story of every nation, Coming to bow the knee before the Lord Jesus. And we pray it in his name. Amen.